Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 364, recorded April 24th, 2022. Today we are finishing off Star Trek The Last Generation. Right. The last. Not the, the last one. Not the next. The no. last. So this is three, four, and five? Correct. Correct. There you go. And so we get to see what happens. So, will Picard say, shut up, Wesley? Uh, I don't believe he says that. He should. So we've got a little bit of an insurrection going on with the lad, eh? Wesley, as you guys remember, was all bent out of shape because Robin Leffler died. And he was blaming Picard's lack of leadership. Lack of leadership that advocated bloodthirsty vengeance against the damned Klingons. Exactly. I couldn't say it better myself. Yeah, so Picard mentioned something about the possibility of in an alternate timeline, if we fix things in the past, uh, we'll be even friends with them. Boy, was that the wrong thing to say, Picard. <laughs> right. So yeah, we'll see how that turns out. Right. The story does wrap up, so uh, this is, uh, like I said, I think this is the only Myriad Universe comic book line they did. Right. I don't know how well it sold, but there was only one, so maybe not very well. Right. And it does say right on the covers, as we mentioned in the last episode that we covered this, the first books, Myriad, M-Y-R-I-A-D, universes. Anything could happen. And definitely a lot of unexpected things happen in this one, in this story. I think it would have been interesting for it to keep going, but too bad it didn't. Right. Yeah, I'm curious if uh, how many novels were set. So I'll look that up while you're synopsizing the first one. Very good. Because so, I do remember a few, and I remember being kind of interested, but then I'm like, eh. They don't have goatees. That's the way I want my mirror universes. <laughs> how else am I going to know the good guys and the bad guys? Goateed and evil. Exactly. Evil. So just real quick, I looked it up. There's only three books. Okay. So there was three novels and one comic book series set in the Myriad Universe. Hmm. So it looks like it did not last very long. No, I guess not. Okay, hmm. that's good to know. Eh, too bad. There's a lot of lead time before we actually uh, get these kind of things posted for those few that are listening. just wanted to set the time frame a little bit. We're, we're past the halfway point. Well past the halfway point with Picard, season two. And we're looking forward to Strange New Worlds coming up. Uh, is it early May? Is that when it's supposed uh, to start? Yeah, 5-5. Five, 5-5. Five. Five, five. Okay, cool. There you go. Seek of Mile. Yeah, so I think the last episode of Picard and the first episode of Strange New Worlds will be on the same day. Oh, cool. Okay. Kind of what they did with Discovery. Right. Well, I am definitely looking forward to Strange New Worlds. And, yeah. and because 
Season 3 of Picard continues the storyline of Season 2. Cliffhanger? Are we perhaps going to get? I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I hope it's not like the whole, you know. You hope Riker's not going to be standing there saying fire? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I don't want a best of both worlds situation. Style uh, <laughs> cliffhanger? That worked great. That was classic. Eh. Eh, eh, eh. No, I'm looking forward to uh, Strange New Worlds a lot. That, that's the one I've been looking forward to. Ever since he showed up on Discovery, I'm like, I want more Pike. Exactly. With, uh, what's the actor's name? Um, a, a something? Uh, yeah. Uh, man, what's his name? Ant- not Anton. Uh, Anton Azel or something like that? No, that can't be it. Uh, I <laughs> forgot what his name is, but he's perfect. He's, he's really good. Yeah. Right up there with Jeffrey Hunter and uh, Bruce Greenwood. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Jeffrey Hunter gave us so little of himself. I mean, he was only in it one pilot. Right. Things didn't have a chance to go south. And then uh, they killed off Bruce Greenwood doing it uh, yeah. in the second one, right? Right. Um, and I, I, thought he was, I thought he was outstanding as Pike. Great father figure. He was older than right. that Jeffrey Hunter was when he played it. And I really liked the part where Spock was mind-melded with him when he died. I thought that was like, wow, ooh, ooh, that's interesting. So I wonder why they killed him off and didn't just put him in a, a beeping chair. <laughs> I, I, I think Kirk had to progress to be fully adult, so he had to have his Obi-Wan die. Uh, that makes sense. That's so, yeah, no, looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing how Picard ends. And, and I got a lot of Picard season two connections with, with these stories that we're reading. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, just in the whole concept of the butterfly effect, right? Bo- okay. Both, both this story and mm-hmm. the Picard is yeah. all about going back in time, changing one little thing, and then it or makes big things. the future. True. Or big. Cool. Well, so shall we, we start? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. I'll be doing issue three, and that's titled, What Happens Now? Published date, January 2009. Writer is Andrew Stephen Harris. Artist, Gordon Purcell. Inks by Bob Almond, Gordon Purcell, and Terry Pallet. Colorist, Mario Boone. Letterer, Chris Mowry. Editor, Andy Schmidt. We got three covers. Well, the first one features Lord Worf's eye-patched face, which dominates the cover. And then to the left of his mighty head are three birds of prey, and below are multiple explosions around Klingon buildings, uh, we assume, on Earth. We had a similar cover earlier where it showed bird of preys over San Francisco near the Golden Gate with Klingon buildings. Now we're seeing them explodey on fire, so I assume it's the same, more or less, type of idea, but now exploding. You think it's maybe depicting a successful blow to the Klingon occupation of Earth. At least that's what I get from it. Cover is by J.K. Woodward. I'm sorry, there's two covers, not three. Cover B features Wesley with his hands up, wearing a torn shirt and multiple lacerations here and there on his face and arms. Picard is behind him holding what looks like a Romulan disruptor. And that one's by Joe Caroni. P- 
Picard, speaking to the part of the Resistance that is still loyal to him, lays out his plan to steal a Klingon bird of prey and use it to go back in time and stop the assassination of the Federation president at the Kittimer Peace Conference. He says it is their last hope, given the recent Klingon bombings of more Earth cities. Picard asks if anyone else has second thoughts. Meanwhile, at another location... Wesley is speaking to the Resistance fighters less loyal to Picard, who buy into Wesley's plan to strike a blow against the dirty Klingons, rather than Picard's fantasy time travel plans. Wesley, O'Brien, and a third freedom fighter meet a Ferengi named Latek, who eventually agrees to obtain an EMP bomb for Wesley, who needs it as part of his offensive plan. Latek leaves the rebels and goes straight to Lord Worf to tell of the plan to steal a bird of prey and use it in an attack. Latek wants to be paid before he tells Worf more details, but Worf has a better idea of payment. The first currency of Klingons is blood. In orbit around Earth, on Excelsior's bridge, Captain Sulu discusses with Riker how they can locate Picard and confirm Data made it to the Resistance OK. Riker tells the captain that Picard's resistance cell moves locations at least once a week, so they are long gone from the last place he saw them. Sulu is frustrated by the waiting, but says out loud that whatever move Picard makes, he had better make it soon. Rene walks in on Wesley as he is going full Last of the Mohicans, complete with a mohawk hairdo and face paint. He tells Rene that he is going into battle, and when he returns, Rene can throw off the shackles of Uncle Picard and do whatever he wants. Miles says his goodbyes to Keiko and Molly and goes to join Wesley. Picard leaves Guinan's bed, hmm, where she will not tell him whether his plan will work or not. Ro and Tasha hold each other tenderly and leave to join Picard. Dr. Crusher sees her son, Wesley, in the doorway, perhaps for the last time, and looks to the ground, wondering where the hell he got that haircut. Later, under the cover of night, Picard and his team are in a storage yard with old birds of prey that are in various states of disrepair. Most have a significant number of parts missing, since the ships here are used for spare parts. Most of them cannot fly, so security is light over them. They beam into a large building next to the yard, where they expect to find a ship that recently arrived there. Only the navigation system has been removed so far. They beam in under the ship and find Wesley there, waiting for them, phaser in hand. Wesley fires at Picard, but Tasha pushes him out of the way and takes the phaser shot to her head. As Wesley arms the EMP device under the Bird of Prey to ruin it and Picard's plans, disruptor shots come from all around. It's a trap! The Klingons were waiting for them. Stinking Ferengi. Roe lunges over to the EMP device, Steve Rogers style, and takes the brunt of its explosion. Wesley has a convenient change of heart and helps Picard and his team fight their way to the Bird of Prey. Data digs his hands into the Bird of Prey's wiring from the outside, activates its transporters, and beams everyone out of there and back to the Resistance hideout. Inside their HQ, Tasha attempts to choke Wesley, 
for being directly responsible for Roe's death, but lets him go. Wesley continues to be petulant to Picard, so he grazes Wesley in the cheek with a phaser to wake him up to the reality that he got a lot of people killed today. Later, Picard visits Wesley in a cell-like room. Picard gives Wesley a fatherly tongue-lashing, saying he needs to stop serving his own selfish lust for revenge and start to serve a higher purpose. Part of that lesson will be that Wesley is staying on Earth and taking care of Renee. Picard says he made Wesley a soldier, but only he can make himself a man. To be continued. So, yeah, didn't go well. No, no, it didn't go well. But as we know, the whole bird of prey thing was a dead end anyway. Right. The way things turn out eventually. I don't want to say too much about how this, where this is going, but we, we both know. <laughs> so you like the Wesley haircut? <laughs> <laughs> when I first saw Wesley like this, the first thing I thought was Magua, the character Magua from Last of the Mohicans, that movie, like, what, 20... 20- 2009 or 2005, whatever it was. Yeah, I remember it. That's the first thing. I love that movie. That was a great movie. That's the first thing I thought of. But then as I kept thinking about it, well, actually, maybe he looks a little bit more like Taxi Driver, you know, De Niro. Mm-hmm. And so I went up and grabbed photos and put three of them next to each other, and his mohawk is definitely more De Niro in Taxi Driver. Uh, okay. Um, but then he's well, got the face paint. So Yeah, with the face paint, it made me think of Road Warrior. Ah, Road Warrior. There you go. Yeah. But I think his mohawk was bigger than this. Right. Oh, 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 right, right, right. That guy. Oh, yeah. He was crazy. The one with the eye makeup and the mohawk. Right. Okay. There you go. Yeah. His his thing was almost like a rooster was so high above his head. Uh, Wesley's (laughs) is not so high. Right. In fact, it's... Didn't have as much to start with. Exactly. It's, It's not quite as high as De Niro's either. (laughs) <laughs> oh god that's funny he was really going overboard i mean wesley he went to a dark place yeah. and it got everybody killed yeah, got a lot of people killed so o'brien's dead uh, seven of nine is seven dead. of nine yeah i didn't mention seven of nine in synopsis but yeah i mean it was just a throwaway line like yeah Stay there, Annika, and then she dies. And then you're like, oh, that was seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they, something that's nice about this is they're like throwing a lot of characters in. And right. they end up getting killed off pretty quick. <laughs> many of them. Not all of them, but many of them. Right. So it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Coda novels. Oh, right. Yeah. When you don't have to worry about what happens next. Exactly. I mean, the whole thing's everybody's going to die. So... And, and everybody doesn't die in this, but but it's it, it's like a rerun, you know, like a like a resetting of of time that's going to go away anyway. So anyway, killing off the the characters you know and love isn't this big an issue, right? With this kind of story, did you think Picard really killed Wesley there for a second? Um, not really. Did you? I don't know. I didn't know where they were going with it. Oh. I mean, gets shot, we turn the page, he's crumpled to the ground dead, and you're like, oh, maybe he really did do it. And then you turn the next page, and uh, he's alive. (laughs) Just a graze in the cheek. Oh, Picard, you wise one, you. 
Oh, is that what it is? Oh, okay. So, yeah, in that second picture where he's, like, laying on the ground, I guess you do see the blood. I just thought that was paint. I don't, I, I don't know why I was thinking that he had red paint on, too, but he doesn't. Yeah, I, th- I think Picard actually purposely shot him to wake him up. But Right, yeah. No, I think you're right. So that uh, Ferengi named Latek, or Latek, L-E-T-E-K. Yep. So it was like, it's like, oh, whoa, it, it, that's the one with the fur on. The fur. Fur. Um, so I had to go back and look it up. So, that, so apparently Latek is a specific Ferengi from the season one, episode five. So this is the first time we ever saw um, uh, the one that was also played by Quark. Exactly. Yeah. So Armin Shimmerman, right. who played, who later played Quark, played Latek, and that was from the episode "The Last Outpost." And I don't know if you remember, you probably do, but the first round of Ferengis were really weird. <laughs> you know, almost like a golem kind of thing. Right. Um, they talked funny, and they were kind of dumb, but ruthless, and that kind of thing. So, I understand. Yeah. I understand that when Armin Shimmerman came back to play Ferengi's later, and then of course eventually became Quark, he was very happy that they didn't have them continue that shtick. Right. Right. So, so the Ferengi's acted a little bit more normal or more human-like, I guess. Uh, although we're still, you know, obsessed with platinum profit. So they're even more like people. <laughs> yeah, like 20th century people. Like 20th century people, exactly. <laughs> so there you go. Which was their point. That was, was the point of them. Right. A little commentary on people that are a little bit too obsessed with uh, material possessions. Anyway. Yeah, now, so did Wesley purposely get him to leak the information? I mean, I, I couldn't even figure out what Wesley's plan was. Was he really just there to get the grenades and... That's all he was planning, or good question, because he got the grenades to make the Klingons pay, but he seemed to be there to ruin Picard's plans. Right. Yeah. So, you you want revenge against the Klingons, or you want revenge against Picard? I don't know. Yeah, I didn't understand his plan at all. Yeah, aside what? from being a whiny little boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my little blonde version of my girlfriend. Is dead, and now I will get my vengeance. And then I'll tell you what I also didn't understand was what did Data do at the very end, right before they all get that moved? was confusing, wasn't it? Yeah, he I'm... like punches through the hull of a ship, mm-hmm. and then then everybody gets beamed away. So I was really unclear if did he beam them away? Yeah, well that's what I thought, and the idea that Data would be able to control the transporter. <laughs> controls from the outside of a Klingon ship? I mean, has he ever seen a Klingon ship before? I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I, th- I think that's what happened. Right. I mean, based I on what we saw. Right. And then, uh, then I was like, oh, well, then he beamed up with them, but then we find out in the next issue he did not. Exactly. Which is like, okay, so... I mean, you'd think if he has the controls, he could be himself too, but, oh well, whatever. Right, right. Yeah, I, it, it was really confusing for me. Yeah. But, uh, all right. 
Yeah. Um, I thought the scene where they had the only mostly intact Klingon ship hanging from the ceiling uh, from pink purple <laughs> cables mm-hmm. uh, totally reminded me of the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. Uh, so they have a lot of pink cables there. No, but <laughs> you've been there, haven't you? No, never have. Uh, too bad. I love it. I love that place. And they've got a lot of planes, including the Kitty Hawk, right. uh, hanging from the uh, ceiling, which is re- it's just so cool. What a cool place. And then the Overflow Museum that they've got closer to Dulles Airport is, an, is amazing also. Right. Anyway, but, but they have a lot of, uh, of planes and, and rockets and spacecraft hanging from the ceiling. Right. So it was kind yeah. of cool to see that in this. That reminded me totally of it. Yeah, I was getting the same vibe. I've never been there, but I've seen... You've seen pictures, video. Yeah, Yeah. right. And uh, there is a NASA museum in Hutchinson, Kansas that I have been to. Oh, cool. And and they have the same things there, where it's like, where it's hanging up there and you can kind of look at it. I I mean, obviously, it's not going to be the the more prestigious ships, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because those go to the Smithsonian, but it's still pretty cool to see them. So, Kansas... Was there some kind of NASA t- flight center or something there? I mean, why Kansas? Yeah, I don't remember why it's there. Hmm. Interesting. It's still there, though. I mean, as far as I know, it's still there. It's been about 25 years since I've been there. Yeah. Well, I, but it was cool. I think one of the retired shuttles is somewhere in L.A. Mm. And it's like, well, why L.A.? Why, why would they have it there? Well, I guess a lot of people, but... Right. Um, and they do have... Um, what, is it Discovery? They, got, they have one of the shuttles... At the Udvar Hazy Museum near Dulles, so full intact, went to space and back. <laughs> uh, shuttle, it's very cool. I guess they sprinkle the last ones around the around the country a bit. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that way everybody gets to see them. Exactly. And really, that's all I have to say. <laughs> Do you have any notes? Any other comments? Um, I really like the. Roe and Tasha stuff. I mean, it's so random, but it's also like, well, you never did see them on screen together, so maybe if Tasha would have survived, they could have had this uh, relationship in the Prime Universe, too. Yeah, could have. And then when she jumps on that grenade and gets mangled, uh, Roe Lauren, I was like, oh my goodness, that is brutal. Yeah. And then, like, Picard's, like, saving Tasha, and she's like, is that is that Roe? And he's just like, keep, keep going, keep going. <laughs> Which is, I, I thought that was really, really good. Yeah. It's pretty emotional that what, what war is like. Yeah. And Roe looks pretty nasty. Oh, man, she is bad. Yeah. So they got, like, blood splattered on her face, and it looks like there's a hole in her side or something. I don't know. Right, yeah. But she looks pretty bad. Yeah, stupid Wesley. Stupid Wesley. Shut up, Wesley. Um, and then uh, was this the one where Wesley's like telling Renee why why are you not with Picard and then he's like oh well he's in Guinan's room and they don't really want me there (laughs) (laughs) Uh, was that in this one or is that am I making that up oh they were well they were definitely together in this one right 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 Um, but no that that interaction uh, let me see Oh yeah, we're, he's oh, in he's in he's in Guinan's room, and they have the door closed. Right, it's implied. 
Exactly. Can I cut my hair like that? <laughs> oh, you don't want to. But he does get the little uh, clown tear uh, makeup job from Wesley. Right, right. So, good for you, Renee. <laughs> All right. That was my last one. You ready for the, for the uh, follow-up? Let's do it. So, issue four came out February 2009, entitled Inevitability. And uh, all the art and editing staff, everything's the same as the last issue. Two covers. Uh, the painted cover is by J.K. Woodward, and it shows the Excelsior kind of at the bottom getting attacked by a Klingon ship. And then kind of in the left, upper left section, we see uh, Sulu kind of superimposed in the background. And then the cover B shows a completely gray-haired Sulu reaching for a sword. And then behind him, we see Worf with a batleth about to take off his head. The second one's much more comic book accurate as opposed to the uh, painted one. The artwork on the cover is actually done by Gordon Purcell with colors by Mario Boone, who are the ones that do the issues itself. So the story starts with the uh, team licking their wounds after the devastating loss at the Klingon ship hangar. Picard is trying to figure out what the next steps will be. They still need a ship to do the slingshot through time, but now they don't have a Klingon ship. And there's also the possibility that uh, Data will be persuaded somehow to give away the position. So uh, that's, that's what the followers are thinking, but Picard is very adamant that Data cannot be broken since he is an android. And then just as he says that, alert sirens wail that there is some intruders. And so perhaps the good captain is mistaking after all. So the intruders end up being a, a trio of uh, transporter beams that coalesce into Riker, Geordi, and the ghost himself, a.k.a. Sulu. And for whatever reason, they appear in Renee's room. The two teams now are going to work together going forward. So this is Picard's Resistance plus Sulu's ghost ship of the Excelsior. And uh, now they have a ship. So now they can uh, do that whole slingshot thing. Meanwhile, on the Klingon ship, Worf meets up with his concubine, who is Deanna Troy. And she's in some very heavy makeup here. She tries to seduce him, and uh, he does not seem to be in the mood. In fact, he's kind of in a bad mood. He tells her that he knows that she's part of the resistance, and he's just been stringing her along in order for her to eventually transmit some data back to Picard so he can follow the transmission to its location, and he'll know where Picard is based at. He says he's tired of waiting. She refuses to give any details, and then he basically stabs and kills her right there in the bedroom. Later, the Excelsior decloaks and heads straight for Worf's flagship and the rest of the Klingon ships. Sulu goads the Klingon, reminding him of how Sulu took Worf's eye at some point in the past. Sulu then boards a shuttle to turn himself in and starts heading towards the Klingon ship. And then basically the plan is, is that the Klingons will drop their shields in order to beam Sulu to the Klingon ship. And when they do so, they're going to find Data and beam him back to the Excelsior. 
And everything seems to work exactly as planned. So Sulu rematerializes on the Klingon bridge with a fencing foil in his hand. And then we get several pages of a great duel between Sulu and the much younger Klingon warrior of Worf. So even though Sulu should be greatly outmatched, he seems to be holding his own. Sulu's foil is eventually broken. And Sulu goes in for the kill and stabs Worf through his remaining good eye with all of the remaining six inches left of his sword. Straight into the brain. To accomplish this, though, Sulu had to take a bat lift straight through the torso. And it, and it pierces his whole body. As Worf dies, and in the final moments of Sulu's life, he smiles. And then he reaches into his pocket and pulls out a remote control device that he turns on. Which causes the shuttle, the nearby shuttle, to go into warp and slam into the Klingon battleship head on. So we flash back to the Excelsior. Rachel Garrett and Picard are watching the Klingon ship exploding, knowing that Sulu was aboard it. But putting their grief aside, Picard takes command and he orders the ship to start its slingshot maneuver and sets up the final issue of the series. To be continued in 30 days. <laughs> Engage in 30 days. Ooh. Cool. Okay, so Picard said engage. He said it. He, he, he said it. That's what he says on the TV show. Yeah, when he's captain. And by the way, up until now, he's never been a ship captain, right? Right, which is Has why he... I don't understand why he took command of the Excelsior. Exactly. Garrett should. She was the exactly. Commander. She knows that ship stem to stern. She knows how to captain a ship. And what does what does Picard even do? I mean, I'm sure he's been in space, but during most of his life, wasn't uh, the Klingon occupying Earth? Right. Right. Anyway, but I mean, he does know. He he knows the plan better than she does. So I guess that's why she gave him command, or just because she doesn't... we the readers need to see him in the chair. I think the la- I think that's right. That's it right there. <laughs> Although she also seems to be extremely um, distraught with uh, Sulu's death. Sure, as you would. But... As you would, but I and that brings me to a theory of mine that uh, actually Garrett and Sulu had a thing going because they're both good-looking people, and therefore they have to be together. Uh, that and there's a Asian looking helmsman who's a young man, very young man. And I theorize it is that guy is their love child. Hmm. That's my theory. And I'm sticking with it. He doesn't seem too terribly upset that his dad just died then. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's still still my theory. So Ensign (laughs) Hiromi. Romy. Yeah, I was going to say, they gave him a name. They gave him a name. And if you take a look, there is one particular set of, of panels that I took a copy of. And if you take a look in, some, in this particular panel and you know have that next to Sulu, they look very similar. Hmm. They look very similar. So that's my theory. I'm sticking with it. I think that's just one of those things that, that they did indeed do, but you know, just left that to the reader. And I could be wrong. It's just my theory. That's, right. that's my theory. And I'm sticking with it. Mm. 
So in this timeline, what was her name? Demora. So Demora still existed when the poop hit the fan after the Kittimer <laughs> thing. Then then he ended up hooking up with Garrett later and having this kid. I think so. That's my theory. Mm. I'm not quite sure if the timeline all, all lays out, but come on. Look, how old does Sulu have to be if he's around and kicking this, this long into next gen? Right. I think that's right. enough time to father, uh, you know, a 20-something man. Right. Right. I mean, we're talking about it's been, what, 80 years since yeah. the Kittimer thing. Right. Which makes you really... <laughs> your point about him being able to uh, hold his own against Worf. Right. I mean, he's a Klingon, and uh, Sulu's got to be, you know, into his hundreds. Right. So... Right. Yeah, we saw what, what DeForest Kelly looked like in <laughs> Wasn't good. next gen time. Yeah, who is older? McCoy is older than Sulu, but still. Right. Anyway, I, th- I think it was great. The fact that they actually had that, that sword fight. I mean, not, to your point, not only is... Should this not be a match at all? On every level. Klingon, human, you know, uh, middle age, ancient... <laughs> uh, Batleth versus a foil. I right. Mean, yeah. yeah, I don't know what that foil was made out of, but it should have broken a lot earlier than it did. <laughs> exactly. I mean, at least they acknowledged that it did break. Now, and you, you wouldn't think that a th- skinny little blade could hold up one second. I mean, the, the first time they come into contact with a big, thick Batleth, it's going to be broken then. Right, anyway, right. Whatever. Or just bend out of the way. Yeah. But I did love the idea that, that Sulu adapted and took what was left of his uh, sword and plunged it into Worf's eye. Although yeah. I do think that that didn't kill Worf. He is kind of smiling after he, he, after he does it. So right. I wasn't sure if Worf was dying or not. Right. And he did say, I can no longer see you. Which is, again, a, a joke, a, a jab that Sulu's been thrown at Worf. Right. Uh, during yeah, the series, and then when he fishes out that little thing, which I didn't really like the the remote control that actually says autopilot on it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, when Sulu fishes us. it out, he says, "Then, then you probably can't see this." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. For being impaled, they're both doing a lot of talking. <laughs> <laughs> that batleth is through his abdomen into his chest. Right, Sulu's. Yeah. And coming straight out the back. So, yes. I mean, he is completely impaled. I would have thought that Sulu would be more saying something like, gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. Right, right. <laughs> That's right kind of why I left that part out of the synopsis, because to me it was better if he was just like, his last little bit of energy was to hit this button. Exactly. Now that would not, make sense. Not, uh, not do some quips. <laughs> oh, oh, oh then you can't see this. Yeah. So, I mean, Sulu... You know, with the verbal jabs, uh, Sulu got the last hit in, certainly. Right, right. Figuratively and literally. Okay, so, uh, so the shuttle rams into, what, the port side of the Klingon ship. Right. But, apparently, even though it was off on the side of the ship, it was still enough to blow up the whole thing. Because we saw lots of bits. Right. When uh, First Officer, mm-hmm. Commander Garrett... Right. Is looking out. Right. Yeah, I had the same note. And then also, 
Also, <laughs> it wasn't the only ship out there. There was other... They made a big deal about how there was other Klingon ships surrounding the Excelsior. Yeah. Where are they? I mean... <laughs> no, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about that. So one of the name drops in this one, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, how we were talking about how they're just name dropping mm-hmm. characters. Hugh, actually, out of all people. They, they mentioned that Hugh took some damage and they're having to replace some of his parts with prosthetics. I thought that was kind of funny. That, I thought uh, that was odd. That they're, even in this alternate timeline, he becomes a cyborg of some sort. Right. But who were they talking about? Samantha. I figured I should have known who that was, but I could not figure it out. Bewitched? Hmm. <laughs> so Beverly comes in and she's like, Samantha didn't make it and they're harvesting her organs. And <laughs> I'm like, who's, who's Samantha? I do- and Come who's on. harvesting organs? Uh, Alicia is harvesting the organs. So both of those names, I did not, I did not catch who those were supposed to be. Did you? I didn't look it up either. No, I I didn't. I didn't take the time for that. But then they name drop Hugh, and I'm like, okay, well, I know one out of the three, so I'm good. (laughs) I'm satisfied. Keep going. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I don't know who that was. But yeah, they also name drop like Paris. They name drop. uh, uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh. What's his name? The Janeway and also uh, uh what's his name? The 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 admiral that nobody likes. Um Um Jellico. Jellico, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jellico. Jellico. I did like was like, well maybe we should work with Jellico and they're like, Oh, I'd rather die. <laughs> <laughs> Actually Jellico's kinda cool. I don't agree with that sentiment, but that uh that is that is a sentiment some people have about the character. Yeah. I think you were okay with the character. Uh, upon rewatching it, I'm like, okay, I kind of I kind of like Jellico. He may not be yeah. likable, but I mean, he 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 had a job and he did it and yeah. he didn't really care if anybody liked him or not. Right. I kind of liked it. <clears throat> I still don't like him. <laughs> Which I think is the last thing we said last time we talked about Jellico. Right. Yeah. Deanna's quite tarted up, isn't she? What the heck? <laughs> yeah. So she's they could got have made her... her look nice. They could have made her look so beautiful, but then they put on that really heavy makeup that is just like, it is not attractive to me at all. Well, no, but is it, I mean, is she tarted all up like that to kind of underscore that, you know, she's not there for love. Um, she's there for other purposes. Sure. I don't know. Or, or do Klingons like tarted up looking women earth women i don't know yeah uh, but definitely the bare midriff uh dress is quite nice um, yeah the outfit was nice and and i mean and her hair looked like and her face looked like yeah you know it looked like it looked like the actress mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just the makeup was just like oh what a turnoff yeah yeah <laughs> yellow, yellow yellow eyeliner orange. yeah yeah extreme extreme rouge uh, like a brown red color, and then yellow. There's no other word for it. It's yellow. It's yellow. Uh, eye shadow, or whatever. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, I don't remember the Klingons ever wearing makeup. I, I did like it when they showed Cardassian women wearing makeup. Oh, uh, because they would like decorate some of their 
ridges in mm. a different color, and I was like, you know, that's really cool because I never noticed. You that. know, they would have a different a different style of mm-hmm. makeup than than what humans do. Sure, but I don't remember Klingon women ever wearing makeup. And if you got spoon ridges, why not color them? Exactly, and it looked kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, speaking about outfits, when I first see Jordy beam in with Riker and Captain Sulu, mm-hmm. I got to say, wow, gold-colored, that gold-colored vest, jacket thing, whatever he's got on. It's like, where have I seen that before? Where have I seen that before? Where have I seen that before? He's a Time Lord! So. What? <sighs> um, take a look at the chat session. I just, I sent you uh a couple photos comparing things. But one of the things, the Time Lords, Doctor Who, they would always have these these kind of like outfits on where the shoulders would like go out and flare up. And that's kind of what Jordy has on. Do, do you see the, what I pasted into the chat? Um, I'm having trouble getting there. Okay. Well, oh, here we go. Here we go. I didn't want to hang up on this. <clears throat> um, no, I don't see it. I don't see anything oh, in the chat. Okay. It's in the chat. Oh, well, I'm okay. looking. It doesn't say anything. So, uh, the the one after that is Riker, and then the Troy one that you had all the comments on last week, and then that's the last thing. Okay. Well, you're not getting it, but I definitely sent it. So, unfortunately, Skype is giving us problems today. Anywho, so I went out and found a uh, a shot of Tom Baker in his uh, Time Lords outfit, mm-hmm. and it's gold. So uh, I've got that compared, you know, next to the Jordy photo. Right. Or drawing. Okay. So anyway, so flared up shoulders, that's kind of a Time Lord thing. Although the Time Lords, it's even more ridiculously flared. And they usually have like that thing popping up behind their heads. Yeah, the ridge or whatever. Yeah. Crest. It's, it's very stylish. It's very over the top, in my opinion. But you know they're Time Lords. Anyway, right. Just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, the thing I see of Tom Baker and the Time Lord thing, it's more of those big shoulder pads. Is that what you're talking about? Being well, a, a vest? Okay, let me say it again. So, the Time Lords have like a shoulder thing where the, that are flared upward, so it goes down from the neck as it goes outward the shoulder, and then it flares up in the air for the, for the tips at the end. Right. And that's the part I'm saying looks like Geordi's vest, uh. which does the same kind of thing. You know, comes down the shoulders, and as it goes out to the the outer edges, it flares up to like like a saddle almost. <laughs> yeah, or or it could just be a vest. Yeah, but okay, that's fine. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah, it, maybe someday you'll get the Skype thing that I said. <laughs> All right, and be able to say, and you'll go, "Oh, Ken, you're so right." Even though my mind's eye can apparently not visualize what you're describing. Okay. That's fine. Oh, Ken, you're so right. <laughs> uh, another thing that's interesting is at least not everybody in Picard's rebel team are ex-characters. So there's one guy that looks like Billy the Butcher from The Boys, uh, you know, with the dark hair, and he almost looks like the Punisher. Right, yeah, the main, the main guy. Well, he's in a lot of the backgrounds, right? Yeah. And he does have lines, but I don't remember him ever having a name or being given a name in dialogue or anything. Right. And I certainly don't recognize him for any, from any past uh, Star Trek things. Yeah, I didn't either. So at least they got somebody there <laughs> that isn't a past 
Star Trek character, which would make more sense. Right, right. Right? Yeah. Although he does look like the Punisher or maybe Billy the Butcher. So, right. There you go. No, definitely, definitely a uh, Punisher vibe off that guy. Right. And then Barclay's there with his purple hair for some reason. Yeah, why is it purple? I don't know. I don't know. But it, and it's in his. What? What? Is that a uniform he's got on? It's, it's different weird from one. everybody else's clothes. Yeah. So I guess maybe it's not a uniform, but it kind of looks like a uniform. But the whole point of a uniform is that a bunch of people wear them. But. Right. It's good to see Broccoli. Broccoli. Now, why did they beam into Renee's room? <laughs> good question. Weird. I don't know. That's so funny. Well, how did they even find them? I thought they Riker they, knew. Well, I thought Riker said they usually leave. You know, every week they move someplace else. And so it's been enough time that they're probably not the last place I saw them. Which is maybe why only three of them beamed over. I don't know. Uh, And probably why they weren't quite sure what room was the, um, you know, the the ready room or whatever where people would meet. Although it seems like Renee would probably have a smallish room. So why they picked that one is a good question. Good question. Hey. Good question. All right. And then my last comment um, is kind of a follow-up with the whole Worf and Diana thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I hated that she called him Imzadi. Oh, it's yeah. Like, that tarnishes the word. Well, but, but it, she doesn't mean it, obviously. Right, right. She's just doing that to, as part of the... The ruse. Exactly. Trying to sell it. Yeah, and it makes you wonder how long she's been there, because Wolf says he's known she's part of the Resistance all along, mm-hmm. and was just waiting for her to make contact, and I'm like, so how long has she been having to do this? It's kind of, kind of ooky. <laughs> exactly. Kind of ooky. What else you got, sir? Jordy mentions the Transwarp being online. It is the Excelsior. Well, it is the Excelsior, but I thought the Transwarp didn't work on the Excelsior. That was the So they got it to work? Time. Finally? Yeah. Okay. Because what I read in the Prime Universe is they never could get Transwarp to work, so they replaced the Transwarp engines with conventional uh, warp drive engines. But 80 years later or whatever, I guess they, could, they figured out how to get Transwarp to work. Yeah, does that make sense? No. It was just for somebody to be like, yeah, we watched, we watched uh, <laughs> Search for Spock. We, we, we knew Excelsior at Transwarp, mm-hmm. which is another thing. Geordi was never a Starfleet officer, so therefore he was never an engineer, at least in Starfleet. Right. So like Picard, I question exactly how much engineering Geordi can do on a starship, uh, like a hundred-year-old starship. That's um, true. Maybe yes, maybe yes, maybe not. Who knows? Right. Yeah, they don't even have a holodeck, right? So, yeah, who knows? Yeah, right. Anything else? Sulu keeps saying that the Klingons can't have data, can't be allowed to have data, as he could become their most powerful weapon in the galaxy. And he said that multiple times. So, and, and that's not just the Quadrant, the entire galaxy. And I'm just wondering, why does he keep saying that? And how well does Sulu know Data? And even if he knew Data, why is Data such a potent weapon threat? 
Because uh, it was important for the plot. <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> that's it. I just want to say that. Okay, that's all I got. All right. Let's see how it all shakes out. Okay. Issue number five, The End of History. That's the title. March 2009 published date. And everybody's pretty much the same. Um, the only thing that might be slightly different, which probably isn't, inks Bob Almond with Gordon Purcell, and then colorist Mario Boone and John Hunt. I'm not sure if John Hunt is a new or not. Everybody else is the same. We got two covers. Cover A presents an homage to the main movie poster for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Uh, the classic poster is reworked to support this next generation comic book storyline and cast. So we see, instead of the classic terrific trio from Taws, we see in a beam of light heading up from a, like a starburst kind of thing, we see Picard and Data and Sulu. And Sulu has dark hair again. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, there are two Klingon ships on the left, and that's the same in both posters. The Enterprise is being shot through in the original movie poster. In this one, it looks like they've got the Excelsior, which makes more sense, of course, because the Enterprise isn't in the story. And then instead of Chang looking over what's going on with all this stuff with the eye patch, they've got uh, Lord Worf. And this cover is by Nick Runge. Cover B features a big Picard head and a big Data head. And it's got the Excelsior and a planet that's kind of placed between the two big heads. And that one's by J.K. Woodward. Geordi reports the Excelsior has sustained significant damage from the temporal waves. Picard orders auxiliary power to the shields. Geordi says power is maxed out, and any redirected to the shields would need to come from the transwarp engines, which will mean they can no longer compensate for spatial displacement. Spatial displacement. I love that. Garrett orders the evacuation of everyone except for Data out of the lower engineering decks. They will shut down life support to those decks and get the extra power they need. They emerge into the past. And somehow, Garrett knows, Braxton is already at the site of the talks. They immediately try to contact Kirk via the Enterprise to warn about Braxton, but there is no transponder from the Enterprise. She is nowhere near Earth. They assume Braxton went back in time multiple times and at some point took Kirk off the table. They confirm the chronometer in local space and it tells them they have two minutes before the president is assassinated. Picard decides to beam down with his people to stop Braxton at all costs as soon as he speaks very quickly to Data. Picard, Tasha, Geordi, and Riker beam down and spread out. Picard has a chance to do the Kirk leap, but he is not in time and the president dies. Not again. The president speaks Picard's name as he's dying, which tells Picard that this has happened before. Suddenly, Braxton is speaking to Picard calmly. Braxton says he took them both out of phase with the timeline so they could have this conversation. Braxton beams Picard and he to his ship, the UTS Event Horizon, where Braxton proceeds to claim that the Federation president must die and the Klingons must take over Earth or the entire galaxy will be unmade. 
He has done multivariant timeline analysis, and the only one that does not result in the utter destruction of the galaxy are the ones that does not include the Federation. That is why he made sure the Federation president dies over and over again. Braxton tells Picard that if the universe is to survive, then your generation of the Federation must be the last generation. Picard turns the table on Braxton and explains how Data has found a way to rewrite history by a method he calls temporal encryption. Braxton realizes that Picard has been here before. A new time loop begins, but this time when Picard and Braxton are at the conference in front of the president's speaking podium, Picard is able to grab Braxton and put him in the way of the assassin's disruptor beam. The president is saved. Picard did it. Braxton beams Picard and himself back to the event horizon, where Braxton plays his final gambit. He quickly programs his ship to kamikaze right into the conference building. One way or the other, Braxton intends to win. Picard realizes what Braxton did and contacts Commander Garrett, telling her they need to destroy the event horizon. Things happen fast. Garrett gives the order to abandon ship. She tells Data to beam Picard out of the event horizon and to the conference building. She tells Data to beam down too. She intends to take the helm and ram the Excelsior into Braxton's ship. Data does most of what she says, except for beaming Garrett down to safety, and Data takes the controls to plow the ship spectacularly into the event horizon. At the conference, the president is alive, but debris from the ship collision rains down on the conference building. Picard and his people help everyone out of the building, including the daughter of Chancellor Gorkhan, who appreciates Geordi's help. Picard gives a speech with Shakespearean references to the undiscovered country of peace. By the end of it, the Klingon delegation has drank the Picard Kool-Aid. Picard and the Chancellor's daughter shake hands. Picard speaks to Garrett next and says, whatever galaxy-ending future event Braxton was talking about, Picard believes with the Klingon Empire and the Federation working together, they can face it together. Braxton was wrong about them being the last generation. Picard says, they are the next generation. The end. I hated that last line. (laughs) (laughs) It's so obvious. Oh, that's so forced. (laughs) Exactly. But, I mean, once you come up with the idea and you're the writer, how can you not have him say that? Right. I mean, it's almost like you had to once you came up with it. Yeah. Yep. You can't undo it. Yep. (laughs) So in that last pain... That shows Picard uttering that. Yeah. It's interesting seeing some of the people in the background. Oh, really? Yes. Who did you see? I thought I saw Tom Paris. On the left, in a green shirt with a, like a Hawaiian print jacket or something. It's not Tom Paris. That's the, uh, the guy part of Red Squad. <laughs> okay. Okay. You got me there. Because they actually mentioned Red Squad in the story. Okay. Okay. Whatever his name is. 
I forgot what his name was. Yeah, I forgot his name too. But so the, the the guy with Wesley that gets in trouble, right? Somebody dies, mistakes were made. So who's the older guy that's right right behind that behind him? You know, I think that is um, Jellico, but I don't know for sure. That's mm. my theory, Jellico. What do you think? I have no idea. And what about the woman that's right next to him, the blonde woman? Well, that's Shelby. I agree. Tuvok, of course, obvious. Right. And then, then the Punisher guy. <laughs> exactly. And then Tasha, who looks very timid. Yeah, Does she, she looks timid. She looks very sad, but I mean. Well, she be well. She looks. Yeah, she's gonna be sad. She lost her soulmate, but she also looks a little timid. But okay, yeah, there you go. And then uh, Sulu's son <laughs> is down next to uh, next to uh, the guy who isn't. Tom Paris. Sure, sure. And then, uh, and, well, of course, we know the people in the front. Yeah, pretty big names. Pretty big names, yes. What do you think? Now the story's yeah. over. What do you think? Uh, well, it reminded me a lot, a lot of how Star Trek Year 5 ended with Gary 7 destroying the Federation because in all futures, if there was a Federation, then... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he had to destroy Kirk and everybody so that... The Tholians would take over and everything would be good. Right. It really was like, man, that's the same story. <laughs> it is kind of the same, isn't it? You? What did you think? Um, I liked it. I, I thought it was pretty cool that Picard put Braxton in the way. But the idea that Braxton survived enough to beam them back to the time ship and then set a uh, kamikaze course, I thought was a bit much. I mean, obviously that rifle completely killed the president, kind of surprised right. it didn't completely kill Braxton, but whatever. And you said that uh, he grabbed Braxton and pushed him in front of the president. He he beams Braxton right in front of the bullet. Oh, beamed? Yeah. Beamed. Okay. Yeah, so he puts that uh, that little personal transporter or trans... Yeah, the personal transporter on his shoulder. Okay. And then you can see that he's beaming down just as the bullet's coming down to hit him in the shoulder. Oh, okay. I didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah. I did not get that at all. Either way, Braxton takes the bullet, finally. Yeah, he I does. I thought that was clever. I like that. Yeah, the whole time loop thing also made me think of uh, Doctor Strange, how he defeats uh, the movie Doctor Strange, in that how he, how he defeats the big bad was that he kept doing kept the dying. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Until Dormammu, or whatever his name was... Just like, oh, come on, you can't keep doing this. I'm bored. Right, exactly. Right. Time loopy. We're just time looping. and Yeah. Yeah, so, I get that. I see that. So uh, just to go back to uh, Sulu's son comment mm-hmm. from earlier. Okay. Uh, according to Memory Beta, right. Hiromi Sulu is Demora's son. Oh, and Sulu's grandson. Well, that explains how he looks like Sulu. Yep, yep, good call. Okay. That works. That works for me. So, so he was in a novel something. Yeah, he was in Pathways. Okay. So. Cool. Good call. Okay. Well, when you eventually see what I texted you. Um... I'll agree with your Time Lord thing, too. <laughs> <laughs> maybe yes, maybe not. Uh, so Braxton showed up first 
in the little time ship, right? And then didn't he show up a second time in the relativity, you know, the, the, the full-size starship? And you're talking about when he showed up on Voyager? Voyager. Right. Right, yeah. Okay, okay. So there was no... The relativity didn't show up, the big full-size ship, so he was just using the little one. Which, quite like, frankly, looks like a little fighter thing or something, doesn't it? Right, yeah. It looked like this one, but I don't remember it being purple. Yeah, the coloring I'm not 100% that I recall. Uh, I think it was more blue. Was it? Well, it I've, got, I've got an eagle moss. Was, uh, that's why I brought it up, because I assumed you had it right there. <laughs> I, I do. And it's mostly like a dark, dark, dark gray, charcoal gray. And then it's got blue accents. Yeah, where this is like pink purple with blue yeah. accents. There's, there's pretty heavy pink purple, yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Braxton beams Picard away, they go back to a ship. Right. And they're like in a room. Yeah, it looks pretty roomy. Exactly. Like it does not look like a little stuff. fighter. Mm-mm. So is this like a little little TARDIS thing going on or what? Ooh, maybe. But yeah. it also, he, he implies that he's, he's had to go back in time quite a few times and right. changed it even more than we thought he did. Right. Because he's, he had to kill Kirk in order to keep him from going back to Star Trek Four and saving the whales. Ah. I mean, he actually mentions <laughs> that. So <laughs> he's well, like, uh, yeah, he mentions undoing Kirk's meddling. Right. Yeah, because Kirk unwittingly uh, caused the humpback whales to go extinct, extinct by bringing them back. George and Gracie to the future. Yeah. <laughs> so stupid they were already extinct that's why he went back in time uh right um and the thing is even if you brought two whales back in time there wouldn't be enough genetic diversity so that was never a good idea (laughs) well that's that's when you take into account um reality futuristic genetic tinkering oh okay okay i love that I love that movie. I love the fourth movie, but that never that was never a good idea, Kirk. Anyway. Well, they just needed the whales to talk to the probe in order to get the probe. Well, yes. So 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 the primary mission accomplished, but saving the whales yeah. Yeah, that was going to be part of it. And and, yeah. Yeah. And, And technically speaking, the humpback whales are not extinct. So not yet, but in well, the 24th century. Yes, 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 yes. Unless we change our ways. Exactly. I, I heard that message. <laughs> Loud and clear. That was back when uh, the political messages were subtle in Star Trek. <laughs> ah, instead of being over the head. Right. Yeah. It is funny, people complaining about how unsubtle the messages are in, in new Star Trek. And I'm like... Was it ever subtle? It's like, well, I, mean, I, I think the black and white faced aliens yeah. that just had the side that was white and the side that was black that was flipped, and that was the big thing they were freaked out about. Right. Um, I, I mean, the sides of the face being flipped, that was a little subtle. I didn't get that at first. Of course, I was a kid when I first watched that episode. But right. the idea that you had a stark white half and a stark black half, that was pretty... It was pretty obvious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I agree. 
But I think people just like to complain. I think they do. How dare they have Stacey Abrams in an episode of Yeah, I had to look her Discovery. up because I saw her name in the credits and I was like, Abrams, is it like J.J. Abrams? <laughs> <laughs> like, she's somehow related to him. Yeah. Uh, but no, she's... Uh, She's a what a governor of uh, Georgia or something like that. No, no, she she ran for governor, but she uh, did not win. Uh, so uh, I think she is like, like was the head of like the Democratic, um, some Democratic uh, party responsible for um, you know elections and stuff. Right. But she's running again for governor, so she's taking another run at it. Yeah. Well, they should just show her scenes from Star Trek, and then that'll that'll get her in. Ah, sure. Now, actually, uh, Stacey Abrams, I listened to a very good interview of Stacey Abrams that David Tennant did. So David Tennant has a podcast. Uh, He's had a couple seasons now, and he interviews people. And a lot of the people he interviews are like people he's worked with in the past. But for whatever reason, I guess he's a fan of Stacey Abrams or something. I didn't know he was that knowledgeable about politics in the States, but uh, he had her on there. And Stacey Abrams is actually a really big Doctor Who fan. Right. And, And David Tennant is her favorite Doctor Who. And like her sisters and stuff, she's got like two sisters or something like that. They're all big time into science fiction, and uh, they're all Doctor Who fans. So it's like a family thing. And she likes Star Trek, too. Right. But obviously yeah. in the interview, they were talking mostly about uh, Doctor Who. Who. Yeah. I-, I did think it was funny that she agreed to be in that little scene, but uh, her condition was that she would get no spoilers. <laughs> so basically she was doing the that. scene not knowing not knowing what got her to you know what got the president up there exactly oh cool so I thought that was kind <laughs> okay of well i haven't seen that episode yet so no spoilers for me either oh wow you haven't seen it no i'm way behind on discovery <sighs> way behind like 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 seven episodes behind anyway what else do you think coming back to this issue i hmm you go. I really don't have. <laughs> okay, so these are just some notes I took down. Uh, I'm not. I, I got to reread because it's been a while since I did this synopsis. But um, do I buy how Braxton and I assumed future Starfleet would have been so wrong about that mysterious future event that ended the entire galaxy somehow because of the Federation continuing to exist? No, I do not. This whole thing about Braxton not really knowing what the mysterious future event is that the Federation is somehow going to trigger, right. um, but it's bad enough that he feels he has to stop, you know, end the existence of the Federation and, and, and Earth uh, as it was. Um, you know, I, that whole thing sounds like uh, BS to me, but right. it explains why Braxton, a Starfleet captain, temporal captain, would do such a thing. But then there's also the thing, uh, do I believe Picard's assertions that Braxton was crazy due to his constant time-traveling activity? So it's like, no, I don't, I don't believe that. What, what? But Picard's assertion about that does kind of explain a little better why Braxton's doing what he's doing. But it still sounds like a bit of a, a, bit of a stretch. Right. 
Yeah, well, I think it's the same thing with Gary Seven. Uh, I also didn't buy that he had to dismantle the Federation around the same time. Yeah. Or a little before this time. Yeah. He also wanted to disband the Federation so yep. that it would stop some event that he never actually explained what it was. Right. Yep. Like you said before, there's lots of similarities between the storylines. So how is it going to affect the timeline that all these 24th century people are going to be in the 23rd century? Because they're not going back. Ah, good good point. Hold on. They crashed the Excelsior. Yeah, you're right. Are they going back? You're right. They can't go back. You're right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But the next generation, they're going to be codgers, old codgers by the time the true next generation happens. Well, they'll have younger younger versions of themselves. Little did you know that Picard's his own granddad. <laughs> That's a good point. So what's what's going to happen here? So we've got to, I mean, or is this an alternate timeline now? Another timeline branch? Well, who knows if there's going to be a, a little baby Picard. Right. But odds are there's going to be a baby Picard. And, uh, and there's going to be two of them running around. Right, there'll be a, a really old one and yep. a really young one. Yep, I do agree with that. Yeah, I didn't like that part, that they're now stuck on the planet. Right. But at least Data's not there. I, w- I kept thinking, well, Data, if Data survives this, then that's really going to mess with the timeline. But Yeah. All right, so Data doesn't make it. Well, but aside it, from that, they're just going to... You know, it is possible for them to return to the future. It's just that... I mean, because all they need is a ship and sling around, slingshot around the sun, right? I mean, Kirk's proven that's no problem. Um, yeah, I guess they could take... Well, I mean, but we don't know how much Braxton's screwed with time, right? So there's no Enterprise. Well, okay, Enterprise isn't there. Do we know that the Enterprise was destroyed? Do we? Did they actually say that Kirk was killed? Yeah, they say they, they took him out of the equation. How did right. he do that? I don't know. And is Spock still around? But Avoid the is still there. So, I mean, you would think that maybe the Enterprise is still there. Yeah, Spock's there. Spock, McCoy, Sulu, young Sulu. They're all there. Okay, well, how could they... You're right about that. But how could they be there if the Enterprise isn't there? Didn't they go there on the Enterprise? In our timeline, but maybe... maybe like I said, you just don't know. Yeah. That, that's one of the things. I mean, I don't want everything spoon-fed to me. Yeah. But I want to have enough information where I could figure it follow out. what's going on. Right. But really, so, this this story leaves a lot for you to figure out. Right. Not just figure out, just make up. Make, make up your own way you want it to happen, which is fine. It's a story, whatever. Right, right. Anywho. Anywho. Because they're gonna, they would need Spock if they did a time travel back to the future, right? I, I hate that they... Or that's what they said in this book, anyway. Uh, did they say that in this one, or was that Picard? No, they said it, th- they needed data to be able to uh, to go back in time right. to the Kittimer, right? And that's because they needed somebody that could. And quite frankly, this gets to uh, one of my one of my points. So this is a good segue. They said in an earlier issue they need somebody that is able to do the right equations and crap, so you can make the right um, adjustments. For what did they say a temporal shift or whatever? Right. And and data is the one that allowed them to do that because they didn't have somebody like Spock. Right. That which, allowed Kirk to do it. Which I hate. 
okay. Well, I mean, um, okay. So, so, so not the most brilliant person in the universe. He's just a dude, right? I mean, well, yes, he's a Vulcan smart. dude, but yes, and there are other Vulcan dudes that it's are a whole super planet smart. of other Vulcan dudes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, he figured and, out he figured out uh, long range transporters and how to go back in time. And then uh, it's the same thing. I ha- and then Picard season two has done the exact same thing. They need to go back in time. Oh, well, Kirk had a Spock. Oh, right. I guess we'll take the board queen. It's the only other person in the universe that's as smart as Spock. Mm, it's just like, why? That. Why? I doubt that. Yeah, I did not like that. Yeah. And then, then this comic book's doing the same thing. Right. And I'm just like, ah. yes, I love Spock, but he's not the smartest thing ever. Right. Now, the thing is, they talk about they need to adjust for temporal shift or whatever, and I, I, I think they actually said it. Did they say it? I think... Yeah, they said it where the, sh- the planet and the star isn't... Exactly! Where it was 80 years ago. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. So did, did I comment on this last time? Uh, I don't want to repeat myself. No, I don't think so. Okay. So I love that because... Earth is spinning, Earth is moving around the sun, and the sun is moving around the Milky Way, and then the Milky Way is moving <laughs> in relationship to all the other galaxies. So the whole idea of traveling in time and ending up in the same place you left from, I mean, if you, even if you went back in time 60 seconds, the Earth where you were standing when you began your journey moved so you could end up being in space when you come back into when you when you finish your your 30 second trap uh, trip right right so that's a really important thing with time travel and the fact that this book actually brought that up actually pointed that out is really cool yeah no i agree so amazing I mean, I, all these years of watching sci-fi stuff, and I think I've been exposed to that idea in the past, but in the recent past. You know, this, this is not through my many, too many years of being a science fiction fan and being exposed to people doing time travel. I never thought about this complexity before. Right. Anyway, I think it's pretty cool. No, I think it's cool, too. Okay. You got anything else? I do not. All said, I did enjoy these five issues. Uh, Me too. Even though I complained a lot, but I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I still enjoyed reading all five. Oh, yeah. Me too. I like this. This is really good. So, Donovan, next week, what do you think? Next episode. So, next week, we will be doing, I think, the last of the catch-up that we uh, we somehow missed on our first go-round, which is the last of the old Alien Spotlights. Ironically enough, they just brought it back, so uh, there will be new Alien Spotlights in the future. But oh, cool. the last of the ones that we missed is uh, Andorians. Huh. And then there was two new visions that we missed. I think one of them was – two of them are just like a couple pages long. They were just added into the the trade paperbacks. And then, okay. I, and then there was one issue that I think was released as some sort of special that – that we missed. So basically a total of four stories, but two of them are like just a couple pages long each. Okay. So Donovan, are you saying that once we get 
the next episode under our belt, episode 365, we'll actually, really, no doubt about it, achieved our multi-year mission. You're just wanting me to. You're just wanting to set me up again, and then you're, and then we'll find out in a couple of months that oh wait, that we forgot something else. <laughs> no, 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 no. We <laughs> we've claimed victory multiple times, so just I'm just trying to make sure. Only one other time. Only one other time. Well, okay. So but next yes. episode, we will claim victory for real, for real. Right. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. So when when we did year five, I thought we were done, and then. Now we're catching up. So yeah, so uh, I think we'll be done. Okay, so let's 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 just talk about that in the next episode. <laughs> All right. So three hundred and sixty-five days in the year, and it took us three hundred sixty-five episodes. Coincidence? Yes. I think not. <laughs> Very big coincidence. <laughs> You're probably right. Since we did all those filler episodes and. Uh huh novels and stuff one-offs okay all right well i guess let's all just revel in all the uh, great star trek media out there for us to consume these days and other genre things like the halo series picard star wars star marvel star wars stuff what star wars stuff is going on right now uh well, Obi Wan Kenobi starting Ooh, next month. Oh yes, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Good time. Good time to be a sci-fi fan. I think uh, so. Now that special effects are so much cheaper, they're able to put them on TV and look actually really good. Right. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for joining us on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic second name book review see you next time on Star Trek comic book review let's get the hell out of here